Welcome to Gratitude Space Radio. I'm your host, Chris Palmore, founder of GratitudeSpace.com. My sincere thanks for listening, subscribing, and rating this podcast. Well, welcome to Gratitude Space Radio. I'm Chris Palmore, and I'm here with my co-host, uh, Peter Williams, and our special guest, Sharon. So uh, welcome to uh, Gratitude Space Radio and Projective Actions. Uh, good morning, Peter, and uh, good evening, Sharon. How are you guys doing? Terrific. Excellent. Doing well, thanks. Peter, you want to... I'll, I'll let you take over here. You know, this is your Mr. Productive Accidents, and you're uh, connecting us with Sharon here. So you go ahead, man. Is your signal not uh, working very well there, Peter? Are you okay? Sure. Thanks, Chris. So it's 7 a.m. here. Yeah, can you hear me? Can hear you. The video is a little punchy, but we can't hear you. You switched uh, from uh, the home network to your. uh, Yeah, yeah. uh, So I'm pretty sure you can hear me better now. Yes. Yes. Um, I think Chris has disappeared. So this little story came about because of a series of productive accidents, as usual. And uh, how? What are productive accidents? And, you know, a little preview to that. Sharon and I met at business school in Singapore. We were studying at the University of Chicago, uh, Chicago Booth School of Business. And one of our professors talked about how does innovation happen, and it's about building bridges between closed networks. Uh, different industries, different locations, and uh, you know, I met Chris through a definitely a productive accident. I was doing a 
program from Akimbo Workshops called the Creatives Workshop. And someone in there mentioned something about gratitude. I have a gratitude project. And uh, I reached out to, to that person and eventually it led to meeting Chris and uh, it's turned into a whole bunch of collaborations, which is you know just the, the definition of productive accidents, including a book that Chris is uh, publishing in a couple of weeks called uh, The Gratitude Anthology. And um, we've got a bunch of contributors from, from my connections and around the world. Uh, lots of good fun. So yeah, that's my little intro in terms of how we all sort of came together today. And this is episode four of this little experiment, and it's going to keep on evolving. There's lots of people we need to talk to over time. Excellent. Yeah. Thanks for the intro there, Peter. Uh, this is episode four. We had a uh, series started with Thor, your friend who's uh, landlocked in Hong Kong. And, uh, and then we talked with uh, Manu and Gail. And then we uh, had uh, Gino on last week. And now we have your friend Sharon, who you've actually mentioned to me several times. So. Um, I would love for you to speak more about your 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 connections with Sharon, and then allowing her obviously to tell us more about herself. Uh, yeah, so Sharon, um, you know, the good thing about that program was we had lots of different industries coming together, and that was you know by design. Uh, the school wants to create this concept of productive accidents. Uh, so Sharon's a journalist. I think at the time she was the executive producer for ESPN Asia, you know, doing their sports programming. And uh, that's a little bit different to working in a bank. So, you know, we had doctors, we had engineers, we had oil and gas people, uh, shipping logistics, all those good things. And uh, Sharon, you know, has a talent for words and ideas. And uh, yeah, she, she made a name for herself pretty quick. In <laughs> fact, it, it extended all the way through to... Uh, to the end of our program and, and Sharon gave sort of, you know, the, the speech on behalf of the students to, to our graduation. And uh, subsequent to that, I've, I've caught up with Sharon in New York and stayed in touch through our, you know, Sharon's two daughters and uh, our oldest daughter of similar age. So they're kind of around the same sort of space and um, lots of lots of good things. And Sharon's, Sharon's got a bit of an adventure. She's been living the last 10 years and uh, a lot of good things happening despite COVID uh, this year, you know, so I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing about those and her perspective on resilience and persistence and, and all these things that I think she demonstrates. So back to you, Chris. Okay. Well, I just wanted, you know, uh, Sharon, he just said a few things about you and I'd love for you to, maybe you could speak to, you know, it'd be fun to say, you know, when you met Peter, what was that like? And, Obviously, uh, you guys are very different. You come from different worlds. But here we are. It sucked. It sucked, basically. Just no, 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 no. None of that self-deprecation. There's no, no room for that. Uh, yes, Peter and I were in business school together, and there were 99 people in our class. I think it went down to 93 by the time we graduated. And even with that amount of people, it was a very intimate group where we had many opportunities to get to know one another. Uh, professionally, academically, socially. And toward the second half of the program, uh, Peter and I were actually in the same study group where we were doing our case studies together and writing papers. And I was very fortunate to have a lot of associates who had quite a bit of quantitative experience. And my was easier for me were my muscles with words 
So I could make and deliver the presentation if other people would put together the spreadsheets. So it was a really good collaboration and partnership. And uh, I was able to lead on my classmates to get me through a lot of, you know, numbers work that was just very, very difficult for me, not innate, not intuitive, not part of my daily workflow at all. And I think that while it was very difficult for me by forcing myself into that situation, I was able to also appreciate the things that were very easy for me, which were of value to my group. So I think one of the great things about business school is it's kind of a two-year valuation on yourself. Where are you? Uh, among your peers, where are you in your business and industry, and where are you relative to where you ultimately want to be? And Peter is a, a very outgoing, uh, easy to get along with kind of guy. He was always up for a beer, a pint, and uh, made it easy for us to study together in, in socially welcoming places. And Singapore is so accessible, which is where we were. And I got along famously with his wife and his daughters are adorable. And, you know, it's a lifestyle that just makes it very easy to get to know one another. He got to know the man who I was married to at the time. And they have collaborated on projects together, which keeps the families close and intertwined. And it's really, it's really nice. I mean, he's Pete Williams. I mean, he knows everybody. He's, you know, such a juggler. He's always got 14 things going on. And, I, I know that he sleeps, but I don't know when. Right, Peter. Speaking about sleeping, it sounds like you—you you know, I—I I, I was seeing posts last night. So, how much sleep did you get? That is a great question. So, uh, we went to a movie last night. Uh, it was called Military Wives. Quite good, actually. It's about choirs, uh, you know, of women that want to bond and keep busy while their husbands are on duty. And uh, yeah, it was pretty intense, actually. But, uh, I had a bit of a nap during the movie, I have to say. It was a long week, and uh, <laughs> Sarah was with me because Catherine, unfortunately, wasn't feeling great uh, yesterday. Uh, a bit of food poisoning, I suspected. Anyway, um, then we had a friend, uh, he's a productive accident, one of Catherine's colleagues at, at PIMCO. Uh, her boyfriend is a VJ, as in video jockey, which I'm not that familiar with. Uh, so they had a DJ at one end of the club and the VJ at the other end overlaying audio, you know, visuals. And so we went in there and uh, it's right below a bar called Frank's and there's some guys that uh, run a restaurant in sort of our neighborhood. You don't think of this in, a t in, in being in Hong Kong, but down the road in Soho here, down the escalator, uh, one of our favorite restaurants is called Posto Publico, Publico. And it's, uh, it is New York, Brooklyn style Italian authentic right below you know where we live here in, in Hong Kong which is kind of a, a weird combination but it's, it's amazing uh, and they have a bar called Frank's where it's all about music and they have a great DJ so we went in there and their their tradition is whenever you show up they're giving you these espresso martini shots and it's like guys you know like come on we just arrived and anyway it turned into quite a quite a long evening but I did get sleep and the alarm woke me up so you know we're here <laughs> well, good to go. You know, uh, uh, my uh, we're playing this new stream yard, so I guess you guys will appreciate this. It's time for the gratitude checklist. <laughs> oh my goodness! Feels like we're, right? we're literally, you know, we have banners. 
we're on CNN or something, and and it's popping up with little banner ads or something. Very sophisticated. Yes, thank you, thank you. Yes, yes. Uh, so, Sharon, this is where we like. I like to just kind of delve into gratitude. And I like to uh, I just like to ask you in this moment, what are three things you're grateful for? I am grateful for my children who are healthy and thriving, and revealing themselves and opening themselves to the universe. That sounds mm. a little uh, a little new agey, but I mean they're really both. They just dive into life headfirst. I'm. I have so much gratitude for their independence. So that's one. Uh, two. I have gratitude for my own health. I had cancer last year and surgery to remove it, and uh, I, I'm perfectly healthy now, or at least mm. you know, physically. I don't know about my mental health, but my physical health is great. And so I have a lot of gratitude for that. And I have a lot of gratitude. Um, you know, Peter mentioned the word that I'm resilient. And it has been a very, very stressful year for everybody. And I have leaned on my resilience. And I'm so grateful that I have it because it has gotten me through uh, a lot of uncertainty. So I guess that's what I would say right now. Three off the bat. That's beautiful. I love all that. Yeah. Um, when I get around to mine, I'm going to speak to health too, but I'm going to let Peter, let Peter, uh, Peter, what three things in the are you grateful for? Friendships, you know, and the, the friendships that formed around the world through that program and, you know, they've become lifelong, but there's so many others that have popped up through, through COVID, which is surprising, right? You think you're going to be restricted, but the technology has, has opened up so many new conversations, whether it's through you know, the creatives workshop leading to gratitude and pasta leading to what we're doing here to publishing a book and, and all these things have somehow been enabled. Um, definitely, uh, obviously, uh, my family, right? And, and going out with Sarah last night was, was great fun. And uh, unfortunately, we, don't, we haven't caught up with Isabella, who's in Melbourne, and, and Tom, who's in Sydney for a while, because, you know, skipping countries is tough. And then we got Ruby, who's picked up a new school this year and, and adapted beautifully to technology and, and now physically going to school. Uh, the third thing I'm going to mention is something that happened this week is this great little uh, BMX, BMX store that just, you know, it's been there since we've been here 10 years in Hong Kong and only went there for the first time this year and uh, met Jimmy, uh, the, the founder, and he's got a guitar and he starts jamming for us while we're in there. and took Greg March over there, he was buying, oh, I better not say in case his kids are listening, but a couple of surprises for uh, an event that happens in about six, five weeks or six weeks from now. And uh, anyway, really fun week. And turns out Jimmy was in a band called LMF. And I had to Google them to find out who the hell they were, but they're semi-famous <laughs> here in Hong Kong. Yeah, good fun. That's awesome, man. Um, yeah, I wanted to, I, I appreciate uh, sharing, uh, sharing what her gratitude was. I, I love that when you mentioned your kids, how you didn't just, you know, say your kids, you, you said, you said there were so many, there were so many things behind, you know, you mentioned several things, we, you know what I mean? Like, it was like, you had three or four really great things about your kids being, and you said, you know, obviously you're great for your kids, but you're great for their healthy. You're grateful that their minds are active and that they're uh, they're coming into their own. I, I, I love that. Um, and then, you know, 
uh, hearing about you, uh, you know, the fact that you're cancer free right now and that you, that you're healthy is a, is a beautiful thing. And, um, it just, it, I'm so, so grateful to hear that. And the resilience is wonderful too. And I, I was going to speak to health, you know, this, uh, you know, the last, I guess, five months, what I've added to my gratitude journal is every morning, the very end of my journal is I write the word health. And then I go through a checklist in my head and go through all the people that I love in my life. Uh, and I just go, I'm grateful that they're healthy, you know, and Peter's in there. Peter, you're the, you're the last like three or four people that are in that list. Just letting you know. Um, so how do I, how do I get up to the top of the list? Man? What do I have to do? <laughs> yeah. If only, you know, uh, if only it was an orderly thing, it's more of me putting groups of people into uh there's, there's like four second group, you know, group, there's grouping. So, you're I'm in that the positive uh, vibes from a distance. Thank you. That's really cool. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, I, I think I just think it's um, you know I start with myself and I'm like I'm really grateful I'm healthy and I talk about you know I think of my fiance and I think about her family and then I think about my family and I, I think it's um, I think I think it's a great habit just to do because it's if you're healthy all the time um, you take it for granted. <laughs> you know, it's like so. So I'm really happy. I, I benefited me this last five months is I I feel like I I get that more and it allows me to be more present and appreciative of just just the fact of being healthy, which is I'm so fortunate to have have had all my life. So uh, for the most part, so I I I love hearing that stuff. So thank you thank you for that. Um, so Sharon, we're gonna I'm gonna if if Peter okay with me, I, I ask another ask another gratitude question. Absolutely. Go for it. Okay, cool. Um, so, Sharon, this is kind of a, uh, it's not a rapid fire, but it's basically, I'm going to ask you a question, and then I want you just to give me one, a one-name answer. Then I'm going to ask you a question again, and then it's a different name. So that's kind okay. of the uh, juxtaposition there, okay? Um, so when you hear somebody in life I'm grateful for, what name came to mind? My grandfather. Okay. And I'm going to ask I, it again. Do you want a real name, like a proper name? Oh, no, your grandfather's fine. Okay. Um, I just want to ask you, so your grandfather's great. Um, I'm going to ask you again, somebody in your life we're grateful for. Who comes to your mind? My father. Your father. Okay. Uh, one more time. Somebody in your life you're grateful for. My boss. Your boss. Okay. Well, I, I would like to hear, and the reason I was asking that is I, w I wanted to get it to be, I, I loved hearing about your grandfather and your father, but the reason I asked it that way is because I wanted I wanted to almost be spontaneous opposed to the go-tos are always there. And don't get me wrong, they're great. And the cool thing is, is you just said their names, right? So, like, we get that goodness. But I was just curious in this moment why your why some things you're grateful for about your boss. I think a lot of what we want right now, well, I, I can't speak for everybody. I, a lot of what I want is to be seen. I want to be mm -hmm. seen. I want to be heard. I want to see and hear, but I also want to be seen and heard. And because our world is so isolated right now and our activities mm -hmm. are relatively limited, I feel like my boss probably sees me and hears me more than most other people who I interact with on a daily basis. And because I feel she does see me and she does hear me, and she solicits my thoughts and she solicits my impressions. Um, it makes me feel like I exist. Mm. That's beautiful. You know, I did a, a, a birthday podcast with a new friend a few weeks ago and she mentioned how her, uh, her business part, she said, you know, she said my business partners are there with me and they allow me not to feel alone. And it was really beautiful, you know, and that's, I mean, you know, see, 
being with somebody who's either beside or, you know, you're saying that they see you and they, they listen to you is, uh, is a massively wonderful thing to be grateful for. Yes. Yeah, that's beautiful. So what do you think about that, Peter? Or do you think I think it's great because I'd love to hear, you know, Sharon talk about her journey, right? Life journey from, from beginning to where we are right now because there's some, some great stuff in there. And, yeah, let's, let's hand it to Sharon. I don't need to talk. Okay. Do you want to pivot her with that or just go yeah. ahead? <laughs> I, I can just pick it up there. I mean, if I follow okay. the framework of both my gratitude and the people for whom I have gratitude, uh, my grandfather was among those who taught me my love for the news. And he used to read the newspaper, many newspapers every day. And he taught me to start with the obituaries to make sure you're not there. And if you're not in the obituaries... <laughs> You carry on. Then you go to your horoscope to find out what's going to happen. Um, <laughs> then you go to the sports page to find out what you slept through. And it was a whole framework. And he was also a wonderfully silly man. And he loved practical jokes and gossip. And he really had a very, very wonderful sense of humor that has, has certainly... Uh, gone straight through the genetic line. Uh, my father, uh, I mean, in many ways, he, he I was his daughter more than my mother's daughter. Uh, and he, he was a very, very sweet and loving man. And I guess you could also say that he helped me feel seen and be seen. And it was through him that I really discovered my true love for journalism. Uh, if I wanted to hang out with my dad, I had to be... I wanted to be with him, uh, and that meant being uh, watching the news at 5.30 every night. And if I wanted mm. to talk to him, I needed to find the things that were interested him, and news was sort of that uh, Venn diagram of in interests where we could have a mutual ground of things to talk about. And, you know, journalism, just kind of interested in the news and current events has really been the common thread through my education and my professional career. And because my dad died when I was very young, I was 23, and I experienced such a catastrophic loss at that age, but I was on the cusp of adulthood. And I really learned in that moment that if I could get through that, because it was so horrible, I could do anything. And I really didn't need to be afraid because I'd already survived what to that point was the most horrible imaginable thing in my life. And that really freed me up to leave my home nest of Chicago and uh, experiment with my journalism in really amazing places like Dubuque, Iowa and Kalamazoo, Michigan. And these are places that a upper middle class Jewish girl from Chicago probably wouldn't necessarily go in pursuit of a better career, but that's what you have to do in journalism. And then I made it to Seattle and back to Chicago where I met the man I would marry and be married to for 18 years. He was from Holland and there was something about marrying someone and falling in love with someone who was not American that seemed so, pardon the word, alien, uh, but also really interesting because as a word person, as a pop culture person, and as a journalist, I relied so heavily on things that I didn't even know at the time they were memes, uh, but relied so heavily on memes as a shortcut for communication. 
and being with someone who didn't necessarily know what the Brady Bunch was. I couldn't make a Marsha, Marsha, Marsha joke. I had to really explain in my words how I felt about a certain moment. His career took us all over the world. And I was very fortunate that I was able to work wherever he got jobs. And that was first Singapore, then Hong Kong. We came back to the US for a stint in Atlanta and New York, and then back to Singapore. And it was Singapore 2.0 where Pete and I crossed paths and would forge a, a life friendship, which I'm so grateful for. And one of the real unexpected treats of an international career is that you get to learn how all different cultures and all different societies do the same thing, but approach it in a completely different way. And it, it teaches you a number of things. It teaches you, number one, there are a lot of ways to skin a cat. And the way you've always done something isn't the only way you can do it. It also teaches you about how a culture looks at a certain situation and how it problem solves. And it also teaches you about the values that a culture respects and doesn't care about and things that don't matter. When I came back to the States after having lived in Singapore, I was in Miami, which is kind of a, another country separate from the United States <laughs> and lived in a world where I spoke Spanish at work and uh, did broadcasting for Latinos in the United States at Univision. And again, another international experience um, that expanded my horizon on the kinds of things that I would do and could do. Ultimately, I got back to New York uh, and decided to stay in one place long enough for my girls to graduate high school and launch off to college. And when they did that, I was able to go into New York City, which again is a whole other universe. And the last place I worked, I was there for five years. And uh, a little bit more than a year ago, we got um, what's known in the United States as a warn notice. It's the uh, documentation that a company has to give its employees if a certain number are going to be laid off. And our company was closing shop. And the recruiters at the company I work for now were paying attention and uh, reached out to me. And at first I didn't think, you know, I wanted to go to Raleigh, North Carolina from a place like New York City. Uh, but it turned out that a lateral move or even move down uh, turned out to be a big move up for me. And when I say, I'm, you know, I have gratitude for my boss, that's really where it comes from. Someone who saw something in me and persuaded me again to take another chance and uh, reveal myself for unexpected surprises. So that's the, unfortunately, the short version. We can talk about the long version another time. Very cool. Yeah, I, I like I like the basically your your husband is. Uh, if it wasn't for your husband, you never would have met Peter. That's right. There's a lot going on in your store, obviously, but I picked up like, oh, well, you were moving around with your husband, the flexibility of that, and then you happened to cross Peter, and here we are. <laughs> well, that's right. I mean, you have to be uh, – one of the things my grandmother taught my mother, uh, she was complaining that she didn't have a boyfriend, and my grandmother said to my mom, I've never known anyone to meet the love of their life in their living room. 
which was her basic <laughs> way of saying, you know, get up and get out. That's how you're going to meet people. That's how you're going to put your way in the self in the way of productive accidents. And, you know, but it takes courage. Uh, it's not something that everybody can do or wants to do. Uh, a lot of people are very, very happy in their small closed network. Um, right. Other people, you know, can only thrive when they sort of throw themselves into the deep end. And I've been one of those people. And it being, being a, Peter, a student of Peter's, I've gotten more involved in that in the last three to five months. So I, I have to thank him for uh, his, reading his book really opened my eyes and made me just kind of see, feel like I thought his book allowed me to feel like I saw a full spectrum opposed to just seeing a little element of things happening, you know. Um, so he's been he's been helping me out a lot. That's for sure. So, yeah, I, I, I'm completely with you. Yeah. I have to ahead, say that the best, the best thing that Professor did for us, Ron Burt, was distill a hundred years of research into a single phrase, right? You know, so he, he could have just said, you know, here's a bunch of cl cluster diagrams and, you know, you've got to be the bridge between these clusters and, you know, brokerage and closure and all these technical sort of phrases, but he broke it down to put yourself at risk of productive accident. You know, I'm pretty sure I'd, I, I could go back to the notebook where I wrote that down for the first time. But when we moved to Hong Kong, that's exactly the phrase that kept on resonating. It's like, okay, here we are in a new place. How do we make the most of it? And uh, when opportunities started popping up, like to become the captain of a tennis team, you know, my it was it was sort of there, and in, in my I don't know somehow it lifted out of my subconscious. And my first reaction was, why, why would I want to be a captain of you know a tennis team? You know, it sounds like a bunch of admin, and a job that no one should really you know go for. Um, but I said, look, just hang on for a minute before I make a decision. Tell me more about this team and, and the, the nature of it. And uh, at the time, there were 40 guys in this in this team at, at uh, LRC, Ladies Recreation Club, um, fresh grads out of university, right up to retired partners at law firms and investment firms, lots of different industries, lots of different nationalities, uh, lots of different skill sets. And I just thought, well, hang on, that's, that looks like a recipe for productive accidents. I've, I've got to say yes if I'm going to you know, live this, this, uh, this framework. And um, because I was new to the club, I, I said, okay, let, let's get to know you guys a little bit faster. Um, I sent out a survey and it was just like, you know, who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? Do you have any children? Where do they go to school? Maybe, maybe our kids overlap somehow. Uh, you know, just trying to look for some connection. And then, you know, we're about to play uh, competition tennis. I'd never played competition until I joined that, that club. I'd only played socially. And competition is, is a different animal. You know, you can be up against 70-year-old guys and they just play not to make an error. They're like a brick wall. And we're up there trying to play like, you know, Nadal and, and Federer and do all these, you know, funky shots and we're the ones making the mistake and we get whipped by, you know, these, these, this brick wall. Anyway, so it's a bit of a, a lesson. But uh, the best thing I did in that survey was I, I said, look, how are we going to beat these guys? What is our strategy? You know, we're going to be at the net, baseline, whatever. Uh, but the best question I asked was at the end, I said, look, just tell me something interesting about yourselves, a fun fact, you know, what do you care about? And that's where the magic, magic started to happen because, you know, they'd reply and they'd sort of reveal sort of their personality and, and what they're interested in. One guy from Boston and uh, he wrote back and said, look, um, after 20 years of investment banking, uh, you know, the financial crisis happened, decided to pull the pin because this, this sort of productive accident was happening parallel where he, had, he and his wife from Australia had bought land in, in uh, Niseko, uh, which is in the northern part of Japan, how to snow heaven. A few emails later, we had our first snowboarding trip organized. You know, I grew up in a skateboard and a BMX, but had never been 
snowboarding. Um, but I'd already seen Burton Snowboards used to advertise in BMX magazines in the 80s. And I was always curious, like, oh, one day maybe I should check it out. Uh, they had planted the seed, which was, you know, well done to their marketing crew saying, you know, these, these sports might, might overlap somewhere. And, uh, you know, a couple of snowboarding trips turned into a summer camp where our, our eldest daughter was like a, invited to be a camp coordinator. We thought we should check out summer. Within a week, we're going, wow, summer's even better than winter because there's, you know, winter's sort of one-dimensional. It's snow, snow and snow. Summer, you've suddenly got mountain biking, camping, whitewater rafting, golf, tennis, skateboarding, everything. And uh, that's what planted the seed to buy some land and build a house over there. And, you know, that wouldn't have happened unless, you know, I took that that leap into the, the tennis captaincy. And that's led to so many adventures, right? So my contribution to this whole framework is, okay, it's great for innovation and, and creativity and business development, but uh, it actually turns your life into this adventure. You know, like literally a lot of cool things have happened over the last 10 years, which is why I had to write the book. Anyway, I'll pause there. But I think the one thing that I want to say about that is, although they're productive accidents, none of it is accidental. Uh, none of it could happen unless you created the environment in which it could happen. And the energies that promote that include curiosity and courage and energy and hunger. And people without those qualities are don't even have like the, the, the lens in their eyes to perceive that there's been a productive accident. So that's, that's my only uh, problem with the phrase productive accident is I don't really think they're accidents. Well, I mean, that's what the phrase put yourself at risk is. You know, that's, that's actually critical. It's like there's no guarantees. You know, whenever you're putting yourself at risk, there could be upside, there could be downside. But in my experience through this whole exercise, well, first of all, the, the overlap is finding things that you care about and turning those into collaborations, right? You make connections. You know, my form formula for building a network is you keep talking until you find something you both care about. You don't talk about what do you do at work. You tell, talk about stories and, and you know, um, values and, and beliefs and, and everything else. And when you find an overlap, whether it's skateboarding or BMX or travel or, you know, riding or, you know, whatever it is, gratitude in this case, you know, that's how Chris and I ended up, you know, connecting. Um, the next step is, well, let's collaborate. And so we're on episode four of a collaboration and, you know, and this other example of writing an essay for um, Chris's book that's coming out. It'd be cool to t talk about that a little bit, Chris, and even how you stumbled towards gratitude. I think that's relevant to this whole story. I would like to hear about that. Oh, uh, thanks, Gus. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Sharon. Yeah. Um, speaking to the productive actions with us, you know, I, uh, I guess to go back in my story, you know, uh, my, my gratitude journey started in the fall of 2013, and um, my birthday was coming up, and I, I was listening to a podcast, and it was fairly, podcasts were fairly new, and I was listening to the Adam Carolla show, and he said that... Uh, He's had a, a rant about how birthdays are like appreciation trophies, and if you, uh, if you know, if everyone gets one, where, where's the speciality and something that just is, you know? And he said, if you, his, his suggestion was, you know, if you want to have something special, either make it about something special, so it could be you made an achievement, or make it about somebody else. You know, basically, it was like make it about something else other than you were born, but it could be on your birthday, you know? So the idea was like, let's make this a special day. 
but let's let's make it about something that's special opposed to just something that occurred. Um, so I, I that really resonated with me, and uh, my birthday was coming up, and I decided at that moment that I was going to honor my mother. I wanted to do something special for my mom, and I didn't know at the time what that was, but that, that seed was planted in me. So on December 30th of 2013, I got up really early, um, you know, like Peter does every day. Um, actually, probably a little earlier than normal Peter. I think it was probably four in the morning. Um, but um, times are our lives, right? Uh, and I, I basically sat down and I typed out essentially what was the gratitude letter. And um, I, at that point, I, I put it on our Facebook page and I and I sent it and let it sit there. And I, I did that for two reasons. I wanted her to find it. I wanted it to be a surprise. And I wanted it to be public because I wanted people to read it because I was very, uh, I love my mother and I felt like what I wrote, I was, there was no shame in anything I wrote. I, I was, you know, if something's going to be on her page, I, I want people to read it. Um, especially, you know, me telling, you know, I love my mother. So, so, uh, you know, I went about my morning and mid morning, I, I was expecting to get a phone call from my parents. You know, they normally call and sing happy birthday to me, but no call came. And I, you know, I'm looking at the clock and I'm thinking what's going on. Uh, so I decided, okay, I'm going to call my dad's cell phone. Cause I still want this surprise to land with my mother and I get my dad on the phone and uh, he wished me happy birthday. And, and then I immediately pivot to his mom read the letter and he said she had, and that she couldn't talk to me right now is what he said, said that she, she needed time with it. And it really um, gave me a huge pause because, you know, backstory is, you know, I, I probably talked to my mom the day before I'm the type of son that is, you know, has openly told her that I love her. I would kiss her on the cheek at a very young age. No, you know, the saying that she needs time with it uh, feels like a story that would start with, oh, this is your estranged son. Um, but it wasn't at all. That's why it was very, um, it took, it made me take pause, you know, in the whole thing. Because that's not, if I had set out for that to happen, there was absolutely, if I somebody said, how can you get your mom to be speechless in an emotional way? There's absolutely no way I could have done that. You know, um, I still am kind of baffled to this day that that happened. And obviously I've analyzed these things and obviously people are in different emotional states and, you know, they, they read things and they react to them and it's a beautiful thing. Um, so, you know, later on that day, you know, my mom and I saw each other and we talked and it was just, a, it just created a moment that um, hasn't been forgotten to this day, obviously, because I'm talking about it right now. And it, it directly, uh, if, I hadn't written that letter, and if you want to sidestep, my mom wasn't such a loving person, then we all, the three of us, would not be in this room together, period. It just wouldn't be, you know. It's just one of those things, you know, um, these connector things. It, it's still that that letter and that love for my mother is still resonating on a high level every day. If it's, you know, our friend Gail that inter, you know, introduced Peter and me the other day, she's heard me talk about the letter, right? She's written for the book that has a letter in it. The other day she wrote me said, Chris, I, you know, I haven't read the letter. I'd like to read the letter, you know? And I go, oh, that's great. You know, let me send it to you. See, the other day, you know, someone, someone's wanting to read the letter, you know? The book that's coming out in two weeks from now has a letter in it, you know? It's gonna go from this thing that's on a screen to being able to be in a Kindle, but also into a physical book that'll be, you know, that can go anywhere in the world. And we all understand how cool that is. Yeah, forever. Exactly. It's imprint. It'll be imprinted. And, um, you know, so that was December 30th and I didn't know, um, you know, what was, what was coming up in life. You know, my mom's, uh, cancer came back, uh, with a vengeance 
And uh, on uh, April 30th, uh, four months later to the day, uh, she was gone. Wow. So, um, so, so what, you know, I, I've, I've analyzed this a lot and it's amazing thing about gratitude is that, you know, it's, it's a new experience every time and for everybody. So the, you know, analyzing this experience, you know, I could say just speaking in gratitude terms, you know, I wrote a letter and had an experience. She read the letter, had an experience. We had an experience together. My dad had an experience. My sister had an experience. Um, and then, you know, at her funeral, I had a whole new experience. I had an old experience, you know, this is, uh, I didn't want to speak at the funeral and um, I, uh, but my dad asked me if I wanted to, I said no, but I kept thinking about this letter, right? I kept thinking about how, how this letter did something that nothing could have ever done or I or just foreseen happening. So I had my cousin read the letter at the funeral. So now I have a whole experience with the letter, right? I'm sitting at my mom's funeral and I'm hearing my words being read back to me. Words like, I'm going to tell you I love you more this year. I'm going to spend more time with you. I'm going to make you more proud, you know? And, and I, it really hit me, you know, it was a very bittersweet thing in the sense that I was very grateful that I'd, I'd done this. I knew that it meant something, that it, that it made a connection that was just not, it, it, it made us connect more than we ever had before up to that point. But in the same sense, you know, all these promises I made, April 30th was the end of that. You know, there was no more doing, you know, the connection to be able to make that happen. So, you know, I, again, whole experience, same letter, right? And then you got to think at that point, I repost this letter on Facebook so that people um, that love my mother are now reading this and they're relating to it because my mom was a very loved person. And anybody, if you share gratitude for somebody in a, a space, I like to call it gratitude art, when you make it a physical thing that people can feel, they can, they can have their own experiences with it. And they can feel gratitude because you've spoken up because they've seen it, right? It's like if you see a piece of artwork, you can have an emotion, right? But if, if somebody just kind of told you like, oh yeah, it said, okay, the Mona Lisa, like there's this old, you know, this lady and she's wearing a, you know what I mean? Like it's not, <laughs> it's not the same thing, you know? But when you can read words or you can see video of people sharing gratitude, it's a, it's a powerful mirror that allows us to reflect back on our own lives and allows us to think, get us into a space to be grateful. And I feel that any, um, and that's what this podcast is. Everything I'm doing in the last five years, the interviews, uh, the podcast, the book, everything is just me wanting to create a space to allow people to go, what am I grateful for? Or, or yes, I'm grateful for that. Or just you know, the reflective reminder. And that's, and that's, uh, Peter's helped me with that a lot, you know. Um, he's been a huge, my people he's connected me with being in this podcast right now. Um, you know, he's had several people write for the book. He's, He's my, you know, I've got MVPs that brought people in, and Peter's one of them, uh, massive MVP when it came to just initiating people um, to write letters and speaking to the book. And then I'm going to stop talking, so I'm really uh, taking over the conversation here. The, the the beautiful thing about the book is called Dear Gratitude and Anthology, and in the book there's over 50 people that wrote letters and essays and gratitude. So the cool thing about the book is. The book is doing exactly what I want to do. I want to initiate people to do that. And, and I'm speaking this because the amazing thing about gratitude and people initiating gratitude is it, it's a full force every time. So the fact that Peter wrote a letter and then he got his daughter to write a letter, I, I feel that. It's all the same. It doesn't deteriorate one bit. I just know I, in, I anticipated, I asked Peter, 
and then he asked other people, and then they made the magic happen. Um, and it excites me to no end that that happens. And I know the book. So for one thing, the book is a massive success. There's 50 people who wrote gratitude in it. It's a massive success. It doesn't, you know what I mean? Like just the fact that it's being created, that people took time. Um, it's a massive success. And I get to share a little bit of my story. Basically, my it's a little bit of Chris. It's a update Chris. That's not Mary Chris. It's the simplistic story of Chris, but then it's everyone's gratitude. So the cool thing about gratitude is it's different to people, and this book has every flavor that, that you can imagine in it. So anybody reading it, um, it can be used as a daily journal, but anybody reading it is going to find something that's going to re- reflect to you that you're going you're gonna to relate to. And it's a, it's a really beautiful thing. And, you know, at the end of the book, I wrote my, uh, you know, at the very end, I let people know that this book is going to create another book. There are going to be experiences. And I don't know if it's going to take 10 years, five years, one year, six months. I don't know. But the cool thing is this book is going to initiate people to have experiences. And then we're going to create another book with those experiences. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening, guys. That's great. That's great. I think Sharon, one so what, of the, what are you thinking about? I'm curious. How do you react to all of that? Well, I kind of came full circle, and I was thinking that uh, Chris and I both suffered huge losses, and I think out of loss comes an appreciation that life is short. And when life is short, you don't have time to fool around. You got to get get going. You got to make it happen. And so I think each of us have been motivated both through love and through loss to make the most of our time. And I've had the, the blessing to pour a lot of that into my kids. I think you do the same, Peter. And it, it all pays back. Um, you know, the thing about gratitude is that the act of being grateful bestows upon the giver the gifts. Um, and it, it, it just circles back and back and back um, in, in ways that you really can't even predict. That's why the, the Go-Giver book is kind of a parable of three or four careers that are successful because the first act was generosity and, and uh Instead of thinking, oh, you know, I'll help other people, but only when I've got my house and my Porsche and my whatever. Uh, if you do it parallel, you know, like not that you're going to be chasing those materialistic things, but the quicker you learn that, that helping other people without expecting anything in return is, is uh, you know, is, is pretty important, the better. And um, Sharon's part of this dinner series that I stumbled across as well, Ball of Dinners, uh, Patrick Gibb founded. And the whole mindset is, you know, what is your story? What project are you working on? And the third question, kind of where the magic happens, is you know how can I help? And when I learned that this 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 group or this community sort of existed, I was like, oh my god, that's like that's like productive accident, the virtual version of productive accidents. I need to be part of that. And now there's about eighteen hundred people worldwide. And what I love is you know every morning you get up and you see people collaborating, and they have no connection. They're not at the same company, location, you know, nationality, anything. Um, and if it wasn't for that group, I probably wouldn't have self-published. And if you don't, you know, the first book, and if you don't do the first book, you, it's unlikely you're doing a second book. Uh, like literally my first question for, to these guys was, I want to learn how to self-publish. 
and this was in a private Facebook group. And um, next thing you know, someone jumped on, just like I'd sent you a WhatsApp, and you know, it was almost instant, saying, look, you need to meet my friend. Uh, he's from Zimbabwe. He's taught middle school in England. He's now living in Silicon Valley. He's just self-published three books. Was that and, Austin? Um, the person? Was that Austin? Uh, Austin Cleon, you mean? Who is the person? Uh, never mind. No, it's a, it's a totally different guy. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, but anyway, I, I, I'll have to go and dig out the details. But what was cool is the next morning she connected me to this guy and we had a Skype on the way to work. And he said, yeah, it's easy. You go on the create space. It's a subsidiary of Amazon. And, it, you know, you can publish to Kindle. And six months later, I published a book about. So my experience of loss is different to your guys. I'm fortunate in that both my parents are still healthy and 88, 86. Actually, Gail interviewed them, which was amazing, and wrote a poem about their journey, which was, which was pretty amazing. Um, yeah, so I had to think about it for a while. But, you know, so our collective family's loss was uh, my wife's youngest sister, who was 18 and she you know got into film school she went on a gap year and unfortunately you know in a remote remote part of australia went missing um 18 years ago and has not been you know found you know hasn't been solved and that tragedy you know sort of this ambiguous loss is what they refer, refer to it as because you're not really sure until you've got closure um that's definitely made me be more open to doing things in the now you know like don't wait until you're retired you know do stuff along the way and that's what the first book was about i, I actually curated her artwork and her poetry and and uh her writing and photography and everything else and um you know that was a way of sort of just making sure this stuff wasn't lost because stories are really important you know that's another big big lesson over the last 10 years you know if you don't write stories down or you don't capture them on paper or on or in digital or you know whatever medium it is it's like they didn't happen and so you know you don't want that you know that situation uh so a lot of these ideas converged and you're right sharon you know if, if you don't have curiosity what is the root cause of all this if you just you know don't explore things then nothing happens so yeah you've got to keep going back to find out you know what is the trigger but then once you see these things happen you know it's like very predictable and very repeatable like you know you can have sustainable serendipity and it should you know it sets you up for how do you deal with difficult things you know your stories have you know chris the, the fact that you give something on your birthday is flips things around so for this year i actually bought a pair of vans checkered slip-on shoes for my dad you know for, as an 88 year old he needs a pair of skate shoes clearly <laughs> and and a uh and a black and white checkered scarf for my mum, and I bought a matching one of those scarves for me. And you know that black and white checkered scarf actually, you know, it's connected to this story. Uh, you know, Vans. I'm a big fan. Growing up on a skateboard and BMX, Vans, the brand, they always have black and white checkered sort of flags as part of their imagery and, and so on. So the way I interpret that is, it's like the start of a BMX race and the finish, but you can use that as a way of reminding yourself how do you make the most of the beginning and the end of anything a week a year a month a life but i'm really interested in what happens in between and so yeah that's that's why you know giving that to them was was kind of fun and i see dad wearing these shoes on weekends and 
it's it's kind of funny. Uh, yeah. And you're wearing a black and white checkered shirt, I think, right now, Chris. If I zoom in on you, it's a little blue, but yeah, my fiance okay. gave it. Yeah, that'll, that's part of the branding going forward. We have to add it to the screen. Okay, <laughs> yeah, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> you know, speaking back to what uh, Sharon was saying, you know, about and Peter mentioned about loss. You know, I, I feel like uh, I, I feel like loss allows you to be in a space where if you can you know, analyze the loss, you can find a lot of gratitude. Um, and and I, I was speaking the other day about this. It's uh, the re, you know, the reason that we're so sad, right? The reason why there's a lot of pain is because there were a lot of good memories and there was love, right? So what's, what's the flip side of that feeling? Okay, you had no connection, the person's gone, right? So it's, it's a bittersweet thing, but, um, you know, speaking to my own experience, you know, it allowed me to go, um, I know how fortunate I am that I had a woman that loved me so much for 35 years. I, I get that, right? I'm, I'm so fortunate. I'm so grateful for that. It's not a given. People are born that don't have parents that want them. You know, there's people that are born where their parent dies. You know, there's a whole lot of scenarios that play out, right? But I got to, I was fortunate that I was born into two parents that wanted me. They loved me. And I, my mom, who was my superhero for 35 years, I got, I got to be, I got to be the center of her attention. You know, I got to be her focus. You know, when I was writing the book recently, I wrote uh, a short story here. Is you know, I didn't know what the name of the book was going to be, and I read, and one person wrote an essay called a letter called "Dear Gratitude," and I read it, and it made me cry. And then my editor was like, I was, I, my editor, I was like, I was like, we need to make. I was like, this is a book, and she goes, why don't you write one of those? And I go. Okay, you know, I go, okay, thanks for the prompt. And I sat down and I wrote this, you know, I wrote a letter. It's like gratitude with an individual you were talking to, almost like it was your caregiver, right, or your buddies with your whole life. And um, it made me take a pause because I was thinking about my mother. I was thinking, you know, you know, in my situation, I, if, if my parents hadn't had a miscarriage the year before, and I mean a miscarriage where the, the baby was actually born premature and lived 24 hours, um, if that hadn't happened, I never, and at that point they hadn't decided we still want a son. Um, I never would have been born, but let's go a little further with that. You know, because of that situation, what happened was the doctor the next year said, we need to sew you up so that you don't deliver early that you, you know, so, and we you know it made me actually click when I was writing, I'm telling you this because I was writing this to your grad letter, right? I go, I went, wow. Well, wow, my mom wanted me here so badly that she had stitches put inside her body just so I would show up on time. You know, how, how and I never even thought about that, right? I thought about how cool it was, right, that that, that happened, but I never thought about what's the physical, you know what I mean? Like, where's the psychological aspect of uh, those moments? And, and that comes even back to me when I wrote my letter to her on my birthday. I was like, this day should be yours. I have no memory of this day. So I wrote, like, I couldn't tell you anything about it. But you could. You've got emotions to it. You were there. You know, you were planning for it. You know, um, it should be her day. I think, you know, I feel like birthdays, if the parents are around, it should be a parents' day. Or it's like a group gathering. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, really? She a celebration of both. You're together. What a celebration, right? Um, so I'm done so ranting. One of the Sorry. best traditions. One of the best traditions in the U.S. is obviously Thanksgiving, right? It's it, there's no commerce around it. It's it seems legit. And actually, uh, Sharon and her husband actually invited us to their place for Thanksgiving one year in Singapore, which was pretty cool to, to close the loop. 
But Sharon, I, I know you've written about your father and, and, you know, some of the stuff that he went through as well. I think he might have had cancer and he shaped your your treatment plan and, you know, and the decisions you made. I want to hear a little bit about that. Well, my father had very bad acne and came of age in the 1950s. And there was a very small window where the medical community embraced the possibility that you could use head and neck radiation to get rid of acne. So they blasted his head and neck and it, I don't even know if it got rid of the acne, but pretty soon he had thyroid cancer. And they told him, you know, when he was age 30, that they would have to take, take out his thyroid and he would either live forever or die in six months. And in fact, he had, he bought another 20 years. Mm. When I had my diagnosis, what they wanted to do was a partial removal, what they call a lumpectomy and radiation. And I know that radiation has evolved a lot since my father was radiated, but there seemed something antithetical I wasn't persuaded that radiation was going to save my life. It felt more like it might end it. And if I had another option, I really wanted to pursue that. And that option was, you know, double mastectomy just to have the breast removed entirely. And every doctor I talked to said, oh, no, 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 you don't need to do that. Just get the lumpectomy and radiation, lumpectomy, radiation. I'm like, you know, I just, I don't want to. And it turned out that by having the whole breast removed after they did the pathology, the cancer that they thought was just in this one little tiny area was actually all over. And had I, uh, because I listened to my heart, it, it helped me make what the right decision for myself. And then the other thing about my dad and just sort of how we find these strands that sort of tie our stories together. Uh, he was an obstetrician gynecologist and his whole career was uh, bringing life into the world and, you know, doing the things like the doctor did for your mom, you know, coming up with all of these hacks to ensure life. And it, it was really quite amazing growing up and anytime he wasn't, you know, at the dinner table or to see me in the morning or to put me to bed, it was because he, he was being called on to bring life into the universe or to prevent a loss of life. And that is something that really teaches you at a very early age, uh, you know, kind of almost like a spirituality if you want to look at it that way. But I wanted to get back to something else that you said, Chris, about your mom having the stitches. Uh, you know, you looked at that as sort of like this, this gift of hardship that allowed you to be born safely. Um, for her, it was a medical procedure that was, you know, kind of like part of the whole pregnancy. And I guess the point I wanted to make is there are all these things that happen and it's how we look at them that gives them meaning and how we express them to ourselves and to other people that gives them meaning. Um, you know, some people would say, oh, my dad was a doctor, uh, but it's how I looked at what he did and how much it meant to him and therefore how much it meant to me. You look at your mom as a woman wanting to give birth. You know, other people would say, oh, you know, they, yeah, right before me, my mom had a miscarriage and we were really lucky that that didn't happen with me. 
you know, and again, we get into luck and accidents and I don't really believe in luck and I don't really believe in accidents, although at risk for, I understand Pete. So it, it kind of comes to like a lot of things happen. It's the way you put yourself in the crosshairs of the opportunity and then also how you focus on it and find the vision and meaning in it. Yeah, I, I think right. if you assume good things are going to happen, you know, that's the lesson for me, then they, they do. They just keep on happening. And you find like-minded people that once once you have the vocabulary, everyone sees that, oh, my God, yeah, that's how I, I got that job and that's how I met my, my partner and, and everything else. And even, like, going on a random walk around a city, to me, is, is a great gateway to, to adventures and, and memories. Um, I remember we were... We were in Milan, and uh, I was at a Vespa shop, sort of drooling about all these little accessories and, and everything else. And my wife and four children were like, "We want to go back to the hotel. This sucks." And so I said, right, "You go. I'll I'll just navigate my own way home." You know, it was, and I had a look at the Google Map, and and it was like, "Okay, it's a 15-minute zigzag walk. No problem." That walk is one of the most memorable travel experiences I've ever had because I walked into a bar, grabbed a Peroni. You know, walk past this amazing architecture, past this mansion that had pink flamingos in the garden, which was just bizarre, I don't know why, and discovered this opera house and this park that had all these vintage rides, like a Dodgem car ride and a Ferris wheel and pony rides. And that was only 300 meters from the hotel. The next day I could bring back, you know, our three youngest kids and they had this experience that they wouldn't have had. And I took these, um, you know, photos that are priceless. And... Um, then I went back to, to work in Hong Kong and I had an Italian colleague and I, I sort of told him about this walk in this neighborhood. I showed him a photo. I said, yeah, I have, a, I have an apartment in that building. And I was like, get out of here. Anyway, you know, weird stuff happens all the time. Uh, but anyway, you got to start these conversations and, uh, and just continue them and, you know, keep on, keep these stories evolving. Um, this is our 10th year anniversary from graduating from Chicago. And, you know, we still got this WhatsApp group. People are interacting, you know, people in... You know, all across the world, which was you know kind of the magic. Uh, even though we were the Asia campus, we were very international anyway. Like so, you know, I'm coming into Singapore from Australia. Sharon's you know coming in from the US, and other people from Africa and, and you know India and, and Europe and everywhere else. Um, yeah, pretty amazing. And especially we went in with no, I didn't have any expectations. I went in thinking it's 80% about the content. 20% people, halfway through it was 50-50. By the time we graduated, it was literally 99% people. You know, the rest of it, you know, we can look it up in a book sometime, you know, but the other things, the relationships, the connections, they're the priceless things. Now, the rest of it, you end up writing the book. That's it. If you, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the way you described it, Sharon, you know, you could say, yeah, my, my, my dad was a doctor and he went to a hospital as opposed to he he saved lives and he brought people into the world. That's a totally different experience. And that's, you know, like writing a, a brand or, a, you know, a, a mission for a company or even a, a role. Like I think of people doing anti-money laundering and they say, oh, yeah, you saved the firm in some expenses. If you express that, you know, no, you saved a, a life from being trafficked or, or a slavery or something like that. It's a totally different experience. And they'll feel so much more, you know, pride and, and energy going to work. And that's why actually the guy who wrote the forward to the book, John Wood, his most recent book is called Purpose Incorporated. And it says, look, um, a company that has a purpose beyond just basic profit 
and and you know shareholder value, which is where you know the traditional way of thinking about running a company. If you have a purpose beyond all that, then it's a competitive advantage because your 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 staff are going to be coming into work, you know, more loyal, more energized, more creative, more productive, everything else. And uh, so it's a big lesson, you know, getting through this. The companies that are going to survive uh, are going to have something beyond the basics. What surprises me in this time of COVID, where you know, two hundred and maybe fifty thousand. Americans have died. Illinois alone had 15,000 new cases yesterday. Um, why our universe hasn't jumped to a greater expression of the value of life? Mm. I don't understand. There hasn't been a day of mourning in the United States, let alone a week. I mean, they lower flags every other day for someone who dies in a car accident. But here we have this humongous loss, and there doesn't seem to have been what seems to me to be like an appropriate response to that kind of loss. And I don't understand it. Hmm. Where you know, where's our gratitude for all of these lives? Sorry to be such a downer. No, it's a oh, great no. point. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it should yeah, be a global, you know. Yeah. There's so much other, unfortunately, so much other stuff that's not really important going on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? It's overshadowing what's, what's important, which is life. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, speaking, I know we're getting close to the end of our time here. I just wanted to tell Sharon, you know, speaking to, you know, t how people tell their stories and what, what we, you know, we get to kind of focus on what's, what's important in our stories. What, you know, you know, if you go back, you know, for example, I could have said my mom passed away to cancer, but I could. If, I didn't even add in that you know this that ten years before there was a new procedure and that she it, because she was born at that specific time had the right doctor and the medicine was there that she was in recovery for ten years and I got to have another ten years with my mom you know so it's like if she would have been born thirty years ago she would have died you know like her mom her mom did die of cancer you know um, and again with modern technology every year new stuff's coming up and uh, I know how, again, how fortunate, again, if you just go, well, she, she could have been taking me at 25 instead of 35, you know, um, I'm very grateful for the doctors at the time and the fact, you know what I mean? Like, just like you're saying your choices you made, you know, if it was 15 years ago, who knows if that would even been a choice. Maybe they just would have like, you know, you're doing radiation, that's it, that's your go-to, but now, you know, um, yep. so. I think it's I think it's a beautiful thing to point out, and that's with ingratitude. We start looking for ways to analyze our stories and like what's really happening. We you have a choice to focus on. We can focus on just the grief, or we can focus on the good stuff that's there because there's a lot. You basically focus on what what went right in in that story. You know, not what not what what went wrong. You know, which is, might be the default for some people. There was a time this spring where. Uh, we were in lockdown. I was working from home, which was very hard for me psychologically and technically. And the President Trump was having these long and wandering briefings every day where he was talking about bleach and sunlight into the bodies. And I was just, I, I, I felt like I was falling apart. I, I just didn't know what to do. I couldn't scream loud enough. And I talked to uh, my therapist about it. And I said, I just, I, I really 
don't know what to do with myself at the end of a day. And she said, get into bed and you know, you've got 10 fingers and literally go through each finger and think of something that you're grateful for. Mm. And if you get to the 10th and you're not asleep, do another 10. And since then, you know, that gratitude exercise, you know, you write in a journal every morning, I count my fingers at night. And mm. it, it has been a very, very helpful transition for me from, you know, consciousness to a peaceful sleep. Amazing. Thanks that's for sharing beautiful. that. I didn't know that story. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, it's a beautiful thing about gratitude, right? Is it brings us to the present moment. It allows us to, to get rid of that, that, that noise that's really not right here. <laughs> saying so. I love to count the fingers. I love you said in the morning. It was, I'm going to have to like, quote, I lo anyways, go ahead. I, I love how you put that. It was beautiful. That's it. That's it. <laughs> well, Peter, what do you want to, I know we're, we're a little over an hour here. Do you want to uh, give a little uh, recap here and uh, close us out? Yeah. I mean, I feel like we've just sort of scratched the surface. I know Sharon's got a lot more content that we could bring out. And uh, one of the, one of the, I guess the benefits of having this, uh, productive accidents, gratitude space experiment is that we're just playing around with it and, and learning as we go. So the intention is to kind of make it organic and next time it'll be Sharon, Chris and somebody else that overlaps, you know, that, that we've collaborated with or connected to and, you know, it'll skip an episode or two or three, it doesn't really matter, but it's this evolving chain of, of connection and uh, so yeah, I'm looking forward to bringing Sharon back and, and the good thing is she'll have had a little bit of time to digest. You know, we touched on some topics, but there'll be other stuff that she'll go, oh, yeah, I should have spoken about that. And maybe we'll be a little bit more intentional, but we'll, we'll interweave another story, you know, in amongst the four of us. And, it'll, you know, I don't know if anyone's listening. I don't really, it doesn't really matter, actually. Just the, the process of having a conversation and just capturing it just in case is, is pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, thank you, Chris. And thank you, Sharon. For, thank you, uh, Peter. Thank you, Chris. All of this. Oh, thank, thank you, Peter. Thank you, Sharon. Yeah, it's just been wonderful. Uh, I look forward so I, to yeah. making having <laughs> more accidents. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely do this again for sure. As long as Peter's up for it, I'm I'm game all day long. I told him like I just want to talk to people, hear stories, share a little gratitude. This is uh, this is what I want to do. So I having a partner like Peter is uh, and getting to meet wonderful people like you is just uh, it's such it's such an amazing thing. And I remember after I did the podcast with Peter. I said to him, I said, you know, if you want to do this, we could do this. And eventually I said it enough times that we, here we are. And what's amazing is that a lot of the ideas are happening in real time, like through WhatsApp. You say, hey, what do you think of this? I say, yeah, well, you could do this and you could do that. And then before you know it, we've got three or four different iterations, like in a very short amount of time. And the fact that you just do stuff, it's like, holy shit, you know, you've, you've built it in, in like a couple of days. You switch technologies and, you know, playing around with the functionality and everything else. Like, you know, we're learning as, as we go, but it's amazing. So thank you for your energy and, and the whole, just the fact that you're, you're bothering to do all this. Is it's all very cool. inspiring. <laughs> thank you. I want to tell you, Peter, you know, us using the stream yard right now is actually is a direct relation of a productive accident with you, with me going on your Hong Kong uh, meeting Gino. Gino introduced me to Andy. Me watching and me connecting with Andy and me watching his live podcast and seeing this format and me writing and going, are you using Zoom? What are you doing there? What's going on? 
and here we are. So that's a direct accident of rela multiple relationships of me showing up. I wrote something on LinkedIn uh, this week where uh, the copy of the book uh, landed up in Sydney and uh, the people that had a, put, put a photo of it on, on LinkedIn and, uh, you know, just tracing back the steps to how did I meet them and, and what happened. And, you know, it's it's another five minute conversation, but I'll, I'll share the link to you guys later and, and you'll see that I love, I'm as interested in how things happen as what happens. But in the book, all I talk about is what happened, because if I had have taken that extra three layers or four layers or five layers down, it would have, you know, people might have been bored. It's not relevant. But, you know, that's something I want to dig into. Like every time we have a conversation, like how did we meet? How did Sharon and I meet? And what happened next? And then what happened? What did our children do? And, you know, and how did they overlap? And how did they collaborate? And whatever, you know. So there's there's lots of stories in, in that's going to they're going to keep coming out, which is the fun part of this. So, yeah, let's keep going. Thank you, guys. Oh, thank you, Sharon. Thank you, Peter. Well, hey, I'll, um, I'm going to close it up here, guys. Don't, don't hang up. I just wanted to say, you know, again, thank you, Sharon, for coming on, and Peter, and uh, I'm Chris. And uh, just remind you guys, you have a lot to be grateful for, and there are a lot of uh, productive accidents to get out there and get yourself in the mix that you can uh, stumble across. So uh, you all have a wonderful night, and thanks for staying with us. This is an open call to anyone that has a gratitude story or practice that they'd like to share. Just email me at the address hello at gratitudespace.com. That link will be in the show notes. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and rate us. You could look at this as a way of showing me a little gratitude. Just a friendly suggestion. Thank you for tuning in to Gratitude Space Radio and we're out.